Welcome to Gold Digging. Um, my guest today is Diana Verde Nito, who founded and uh, runs Positive Luxury. It's really about um, guiding and persuading people to look at their working practices and look at the responsibility and sustainability of, of their products in the luxury business. So welcome, Diana. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So I think we should probably find out a bit about how you ended up as a businesswoman to be in the business of helping other businesses with their working practices. I think it started very early in my life because I was born and brought up in dictatorship in Argentina. And I always had this passion about, you know, human rights. Um, my dad never allowed me to be a lawyer, so I escaped to England, my adopted home for the last 22 years, and I tried to study law, but the first barrier was I couldn't speak English, and the law was completely different from my country, so um, I went to university, uh, learned English, and then um, I discovered environmental technology, and I completely fell in love with the possibility that actually businesses could be a force for good. Um, very early on, I started my first business in this area in 2002, when sustainability was not even in the radar of anyone. So imagine the dodgy accent. My first business was called Clownfish, and I was trying to convince businesses to invest in sustainable development. You wouldn't give me two pounds to actually <laughs> succeed on that, but yet I did. I grew the business to five markets, including China and the US, and then exit the business. And, you know, the story was not, for me, done. I felt that, I don't know, that I had still so much to do. And I never worked in the luxury industry. And um, my co-founder for Positive Luxury is Karen Hanton. I don't know if you know her. She found the top table back in 99. And Karen always challenged me to, you know, think about things differently. So we thought, if we actually convince the luxury industry to start thinking more about the sustainability of the business and actually talking about this, we can actually make it aspirational and cool and then the whole world will actually follow. And that was eight years on and I feel very excited about where we are. And I will not tell you it was easy, but um, I'm having the time of my life when every two words uh, sustainability is one of them and I don't have to explain myself what I do, everybody knows what I do and so yeah, I feel very excited about the future. Did you find that there was like, I call it a critical mass, but that sort of moment where you, it changes from, from that sort of having to explain and, and to people wanting to be on board, so it just so that everything changes about your role? Yeah, absolutely, I mean I would say that since we started in Positive Luxury almost eight years ago, the whole mood has changed. Um, early on was quite difficult, um, but probably I would say maybe three years ago, this has started to become really kind of profound in the minds of uh, CEOs, but also, you know, millennials and Gen Zs. And the reality is that now you have this generation less, which is actually not just about the young demographic, but actually everyone. Uh, wants to have a positive impact in the world and I think people like uh, you know David Attenborough has made this completely mainstream making us aware the fragility of our planet and how everybody can play a role 
uh, how businesses actually can play a role into solving the most pressing problems in our world. And I, I suppose I feel a bit like I've been on a bit of the journey with you from, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're very kind of tied in together now, I think, because of, uh, of us looking at our business and our, our responsibilities and our sustainability, I think. Certainly in a jewellery business where there was a lot of scrutiny. I remember meeting you on that panel and asking you a question about the fact that I had a fair trade gold licence and nobody seemed to care. <laughs> Which was true. It wasn't. Yeah, I, yeah, I seemed yeah, yeah. to care. My clients didn't care. No one ever, no one ever asked us for a fair trade gold ring. You know, we would talk about it, but I think it was still because it was still early days. But I think that that was then when you, you know, sort of said, "Look, I, I can help you," um, and it was more about looking at our whole business, which I think is has been, you know, of course, it, it feels really good now that we know. We know what it means, thanks to you. Well, actually, thanks to you, for, because you actually were open to, to really look into these things. And I know I wasn't one of the favourite people for quite a while in your office, because um, I did ask quite a lot of different questions. I always questions. You <laughs> but, um, but I feel very proud about all the work that has been done, and not just from a supply chain level, but actually from how do you work with your suppliers, how you work with the sourcing, and actually, the teams in the day-to-day -day basis, I mean, you have a green team, you look at your packaging, you do incredible amount of work into, you know, um, helping young people to come through, uh, you know, the ladders and, and uh, all of that counts and all of that is part of this, I guess, this new leadership. Um, because sustainability is not just about doing your products responsibly, that's actually the easy part, not having child labour, having good packaging, this is compliant. The point is how do you run a business responsibly, how do you have a legacy business, how do you actually leave a business with a positive impact in the world when you're not around anymore. Mm. But we have another Webster and another Webster <laughs> well, <laughs> in yeah, your business. Yeah. Well, which I guess is kind of going back to those early days. For, for whatever reason that it meant something uh, to me personally to, to find out more. You know, because you could have said, all right, you know, we better make sure that we're not using these conflict stones or whatever, but that's kind of enough. And, and, I, and I felt I've never really been like that. I mean, you know, certainly when it came to the gold, this sort of fair trade gold, it was like, what, what does that mean? You know, and, and so I got on a plane and went to Peru and went to some mines and met some miners and, and I saw for myself what it meant. And, and it, it emotionally affected me. You know, I come back and I wanted to talk about it. And it was still during those days when, you know, I, without repeating myself, that no one really wanted to listen. They, they'd rather kind of say, oh, yeah, but that supply train's not reliable. Or mm -hmm. more, more that than, than really, that sounds great, you know, because just the start of something. Yeah. And I suppose um, there's always complications at the start of something. The supply chain wasn't great and it was only part of the story. But I suppose that's the story of your life, <laughs> being part yeah. of the story. Um, but anyway, like I say, you, you, you get to this, this place where, you know, certainly with working with you, where, where there's somebody to ask anyway, you know, I think that's the thing. You say, right, these you've got to do, do it. At first it seems like it's going to be a real pain in the ass. Then you work your way Sorry through it. <laughs> and then it affects everybody in the business. I mean, especially 
the younger people in our business, um, who basically are everybody other than me. Mm. So, uh, you know, you mentioned about Amy. I think, for the, you know, a generation, they live their lives a bit more like that. Yes. So. I think this is the big change because um, I think the younger generations have lived uh, the life from very early on publicly, you know, they are digital natives, they share everything, but in the same way they, they ask questions, Google answers anything and everything that they want to know. So when they look at brands, they look at, okay, what did this mean for me? How do I feel about it? And what story do I tell? They probably, millennials, are the best storytellers that we ever have come across. So in this sense, you need to give more than just a beautiful product because that beautiful product is like, great, look, look what I've got and that's that. But if you have a story, they can repeat the story, they can change, they can live with it. Um, so products today need a different type of story over and above just the beauty of it. And I think sustainability gives that depth because there's so much to tell. Is how it's been designed, how it's been conceived, how it's been sourced, how it's been manufactured, which materials you choose, what kind of packaging you have. Maybe it's actually to have a second life. Uh, maybe it's about you know repurposing your jewelry. Maybe it's about you bought it in a antiques dealer and uh, actually you use it for a while and then you want to change it. There's so many different aspects today that um, that tells the story of the product, which before was more about look what I've got and that's it. Yeah, I, I think you know certainly through the years of of my 44 in jewelry. Um, I've seen that, you know, and I think there was a point where it was probably about the most gross, <laughs> where everything was about a display of wealth, yeah. you know, and, and I, I never really, not because I was sort of, uh, you know, in some ways feeling I'm above that, I just was never that jeweller, you, you know what I mean, that, because that was about, you know, how big your rock could be. And that meant this was a great thing. And I, I sort of look at it and go, well, it's not. It's, it's a great stone, but the thing is not great. I never forget one time somebody saying to me in New York that um, if he can't buy you a six-carat diamond, he's not worth marrying. And I thought, oh, mate, that's the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a way of thinking. Mm. And, and, and I'm sort of looking around, you know, this sort of Upper East Side set, and you think, Christ, they've all got this bloody six-carat diamond, which would have been the most important thing by far, not any other way of looking. It wasn't analysing, mm. certainly not is it fair, you know, trade type thing no. or, you know, but, but I think that's, that's now, it's way gone. Yes. You know, I, I think those sort of displays are, would be considered just tacky. Yeah, exactly. And I think people are, they want, they want the experience. They want to know how, what, where, and also how they can experience, how they can get, you know, closer to the creative side of things. And, you know, having done events with you, actually, one of the things that my team enjoys the most is actually seeing you in action, like uh, going through the creative process, understanding, and I know a lot of your clients enjoy the same thing, it's just basically working closer with you and, and see how they can co-create. And that is, I think that's the new luxury, it's about the experience and how you can actually be part of that. Cloning. Cloning, love that. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've run out a few more of me. <laughs> Fortunately, I quite like doing it. It's, it's almost part of a transparency in a way, isn't it? That you're not sort of taking an order for a piece of jewellery 
and, and then it's passed somewhere else that you don't know where it is. I mean, you know, we're sitting in my studio today and it's pretty obvious when you walk in that everything happens here. You know, I mean, you sit downstairs in my design studio, the creativity or a lack of creativity is not one of the, the problems of this company. And, and I think starting from that and then, you know, into the workshop and seeing things made and this sort of idea of, of experience and somewhat transparency. Yeah. There's nothing to hide. The world actually is changing because people are demanding that transparency, whether it's about a supply chain or how is the behavior of the CEO or how is the behavior of the shareholders. They want to know, they want to know more, they want to know what they're buying into, not what just they're buying. That's not enough anymore. And I think this this is going to accelerate and it's not just a developing world phenomenon but the developing world is starting to ask questions it's like well we want those these things but we want it now we don't want to wait for it and this doesn't require you know more resources or more money we want the same things but with the transparency and the honesty and the authenticity that you have today perhaps in the developed world and the brands that are not doing this, they might not realize this, but they might not have a business in the next hundred years, mm. even if they had a 200-year-old business, unless they change the ways into how they interact with the people. Forget about the word consumer. It's with the people that buy their products. They will probably suffer because there's a lot of new innovative brands which actually are born with mm. transparency, are born with product innovation, are bored with new materials and I'm bored with this um, idea that sustainability, whether it's social and environmental or leadership or innovation, is at the core of their business. Not just at the supply chain, at the core of the product, but at the core of the business. So everything that they do have these is people-centric, which before it was product-centric. I think those days are gone. Today is about being both product-centric, people-centric, and actually I would even you know, there to say that perhaps it's planet-centric, so... Is that I, a new one? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> how does the business can help to have a voice into alleviating some of the problems that the world have? Because, let's face it, government, and let's not talk about it, is not going to Do help we still them. have one? I can't remember. <laughs> no. There's, there's, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Might not have one right now. <laughs>things you just hit on this sort of idea of the brands being born out of responsibility like you say just about a, a frame of mind an attitude of the way you're going to start your business and I because I do sort of like in my mentoring program of, of Rockvolt I see these businesses and and how different they are from you know anything that was before mm -hmm. and then building their community is amazing it really works so it's good for business but I think one of the things you were talking about this sort of idea of a 200-year-old business could finish because it could no longer be considered sustainable. And, and I remember on one of your panels, there was people from the luxury sector. And then there was the guy, the investment banker, who was, or I think he was like pension funds or whatever, and he's sort of saying, you know, his shareholders are now starting to say, well, we'll only invest in that company if we know it's sustainable. So that, mm. that's massive because that's at such a high level. Of course, and I think this is what is changing because people are asking, I mean, of course shareholders are saying, what are we investing and how the company has this sustainability, not just from a social environmental, but over time.
But if you look at the big shift in the banking sector, impact investment used to be super, super niche. Today, a lot of the banks are being questioned about how they are investing, which kind of companies are they investing. And if you see, like, in terms of, there's a lot of startups that are saying, well, actually, the normal person in the street that might have their savings wants to know uh, where the money is going and what kind of companies and what is the impact that when their money is reinvested will have in other people. Is it going to a tobacco company? Is it going to a gun trading? Where, where is it going? And I think this transparency on the investment is going to become really fundamental. And now the big banks are starting to look at impact investment. What is the impact that the investment in the money will have over time? And I think the other thing is also to think about is how the long term versus the short term. So before it was about short term gains and today this long term investment is actually something that is, is, is really a consideration because we are realising that short term gains are not sustainable. All that with the millennials and all these sort of uh, new sort of attitudes and, um, and everything's changing, of course it feels like we are in a constant state of change. but. These sort of ideas of, you know, um, generation less. I mean, I only heard that from you. <laughs> um, and um, at first, I suppose, you, you know, I could sort of think, oh my God, there's another alarm bell going off here. You know, it means no one, no one's going to want anything. Of course, it doesn't mean that. But if you want to talk a bit about it from your point of view of what that means, I mean, I've, I have my understanding. Actually, it's slightly different because people still want things. People still want to have luxury around them in a different way, but they still want, you know, beautiful things around them and they want great experience, etc. But um, generationless is, is about not just the movement is happening on the millennials. Um, this is happening across every generation. So uh, 30, 40, 50, 60s, etc. They also want and they feel they have the power to influence and to change the status quo. And they want, buy, they want to buy better. They want to buy less than quality. I think the emphasis in quality is, you know, kind of almost full circle now. And people are, are more conscious about what they buy, um, how long it's going to last, and then what is the secondary life for that or not, if they pass it on, they sell it, and, and what can they do with that. But also, they are also much more conscious about um, the fact that they can use their status or their power or even the desire to actually influence and do stuff. And in corporations, it's the first time that you have four generations working in the, in the same place. And Is that just because we're living longer? Exactly. Right. But the point is that, you know, uh, the 20-year-olds were born with a phone in their hands and everything is done by email, Instagram, etc. Which perhaps, you know, you and me still call people and leave voicemails. Well, no, you turn up in your office. It's one step <laughs> more analogue. Exactly. And the thing is, because we have these four generations, we're trying to understand each other a little bit more. But the respect that the millennials demand, the flexibility, the care, um, the way they want to be spoken, the way they want to be treated, uh, the empowerment of women, all of these things that we think it just only belongs to the younger generation. Mm. The older generation is like, wait a second. I really want the same things that they, they are actually getting because they are actually have the guts to ask for them, which I don't think we ever did. 
And now it's like everybody wants those things. So the acceleration and change have to happen much, much, much quicker. And I think I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm 47. And I think I will see it in my lifetime to see a complete transformation of the corporate world. Mm. I think um, when the millennials have are in an age in which they can actually lead these corporations, and a lot of them are already, we will see a completely different world. And I, and I feel very kind of hopeful because also women are playing a huge role for this. And um, yeah, I think it's gonna, the, I think the balance is going to, to happen at some point, and it's going to happen sooner than when we th that what we think. So let's have a look at the last initiative that we've kind of uh, worked on together. I think it was a, it's a very sort of basic service that, that can be provided by your local jeweller. You know, this idea of repurposing your jewellery. I mean, it's always been there. You know, a client will come in and they say, look, um, I've got this ring that was my mum's or, or I've got this earring, it's broke. Do you mind... You know, mm -hmm. doing something with it because, as it is, it's it means something to me, but but not as it is, and and um, you know, just sort of saying, yeah, of course we'll do it, without really thinking how amazing is that 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 this is something that you can do to jewellery. Yes. Almost nothing else you could do it with, where you could say, well, look, it's the parts. You know, let's let's reuse the parts. So you've got you've already got the parts. Let's see what else we can do. Taking that to the next level is where we're at at the moment. And like I say, you know, Positive Lunch have been very excited, I think, by the prospect of this idea yeah, because it kind it. of ticks a lot of your boxes. <laughs> but it's also really fun. And I mean, you know, you, you were there on, on the one night when we had some people, you know, just the start was just a small group and bringing in things. And, and of course, every single thing comes with a story. And everybody in that room is like listening to this person's story. And, and, and it, you know, it's got to be one of the most sort of fun and conversational processes that you could perform is that, you yeah. know, is to say, what have you got? You know, you go, right, this is what I've got, you know, and it, it could be a modest hoard <laughs> or the crown jewels, because I've had that as well, where someone sort of dumped basically the crown jewels and says, you know, I can't wear this stuff anymore. My life doesn't work with, with all these things. But, um, and then just sort of taking the parts and then being able to rework them mm. is really easy people just respond to it yeah. so massively and I think you as always one of the things that I love about Stephen Webster is the fact that you have been always ahead of the of the trend and I think fast jewelry is one of the things that is coming because you can spend 500 pounds on a piece of junk that actually will lose the um, luster. Yeah, Loses exactly, <laughs> completely. And then you know what goes is in the drawer, but actually has no secondary life. You can't take it apart because it falls apart. And actually, each part of it you can't really reuse because uh, it has no value, really. So you're actually throwing five hundred pounds down the drain. Yet, if you wait, and you know you probably you know buy something that is a bit more expensive but then you can actually take each one of the components of it and do something else and i think we see in this movement in fashion you know with upcycling you've seen um you know companies are having like new unicorns in terms of reselling um pre-loved clothing that's probably the polite way of saying it but 
you know, second hand. Second hand. That's exactly <laughs> what I want to say. Thank you. But just say it. Don't hold back. It's second hand. <laughs> um, but you're seeing that there is a value on this, and we're seeing fast beauty. The same thing, and I think no, I can't have second-hand makeup. No, but you have a lot of junk that you put in your skin. Um, yet, I think fast jewelry is coming, and when people realise that all of these new jewelry brands that you buy and so on, and then actually you just literally wasted two hundred pounds, three hundred pounds, five hundred pounds, and it's only a little bit more that you need to spend into actually something beautiful that will last you for the rest of your life. I mean, the normal passage usually is like somebody's got something and they leave it to their kids, if it's yeah. a woman and a daughter. I love this sort of idea of the of the story, the generational stories mm. that come with jewellery. I mean, my grandfather gave my father his pocket watch and then he gave it to me on my 21st birthday, his pocket watch. It's on my desk. Oh, thank God. I thought you were just going to say I melted down. No, 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 <laughs> no. I think we should establish that fact. If somebody comes to me and they say, look, this was my mother's, this was my grandmother's, and I look at it and it's amazingly beautiful, I'm not going to say let's melt it all down, but I will try and work out a way that that can be worn mm. in a more contemporary way. Yeah. You know, like, say, let's say it's a brooch, and, you know, you, I mean, I, this may sound extreme, but I could turn it into an earring. You, you know what I mean? It's sort of, it's, so it's not about just always taking the parts. It's looking at it, assessing it, and, and then being able to re-wear it. So, so that could be that it goes back to the parts. So we see, right, we, we'll mill all the gold. It's still your gold. All the stories in there still, all the value, and the, but we'll reshape it, basically. That's what you're doing. It's, it's more tricky with a gemstone. You can't reshape it, but you can basically make sure it's in good shape. You know, if it's been a bit worn because it's really old, you can re-polish re it, basically. I mean, it, look, it's one of the great things about being a jeweller is that you do handle some extraordinary things. I mean, I'd hate it if I just handled paper all day or, <laughs> or a computer. I'm rubbish on that, you know. But with a, with, a, with a gem, I get completely excited about it. And that spreads through the whole team. Mm -hmm. They feel it, you know, there's, there's something exciting about what's coming up. Yeah, and I mean, not just what is given to you. I mean, today you have one, two marriages, maybe. And uh, like, well, I have, well, I have one marriage, but I have an ex-husband. <laughs> so my next thing, my next, uh, the next time I see you will be my engagement ring, my all engagement I'm ring I'm surprised I haven't been given that one already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I often talk about those yeah. things that you all talk. It's like people are usually come with a big smile saying, he's gone, let's get rid of this. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the reality is that if you have a good piece of jewellery, you can always do something amazing. And it's yeah. great. It's really good because until this project, it wasn't nothing else out there that enables you to do that. Well, I think, like I said, it's, it was there, it's always there. I mean, I'll have a million local jewellers saying, well, we've been doing that. I think the difference here is, is infusing about it. Yeah. Sort of saying, look, this isn't just something that we do on the side. Let's make it a part of what we are, you mm. know, and, and celebrate it. And, and, and it is, again, it's got a bit of fun about it, which we like. But I think it's, um, but also this sort of idea of you're not just, generally your local jeweler is not a great designer. So, you know, within my team, you get applied 
everything we are. Amazing. And, and I mean, you're not going to come to me if you don't like our aesthetics. You go, oh, God, he's going to do something Stephen Webster with it. Well, of course I am, you know. But so, so there's already that bit. And then it, it's part of that thing of seeing what a sort of a design-driven jewellery company is going to do. That, I think that's what's unique at the moment. But I, I think going forward, you, you will see more of it. I think something like 70% of the gold we use in our new jewellery is recycled gold. Well, yeah, there is not much real gold, like, you know, mine gold to be mined out of the ground. <laughs> well, so, you know, no, it will run out eventually. Yeah, it will. Of, of course. course. If they dig a big enough hole, you run out of stuff. I, um, I've really enjoyed our chat. I knew I would because I enjoy your company. But um, thank you very much. No, thank you so much for having me. This and, uh, you can, you're always welcome in my office because I feel now, not that we do everything like you say, no one can be 100%, but I feel now it's a bit like we've broken the back of it. <laughs> and, and it certainly doesn't frighten me anymore. One thing I'm just going to say at the end is you mentioned packaging. Yes. It is, that is the thing. That is my absolutely, before I die, I'm going to make sure that there is luxury packaging that, that is responsible because Brilliant. it is, as you know, it's really a nightmare. It's very it's, hard. It's almost harder for that than the, than the bit of jewellery. Yeah. You know, it, it's because it's got to tick some boxes, but we, we've... <laughs> We've been experimenting in some biodegradable pouches, and at the moment they look a little bit Hessian, you know. There, you know, you, it's, it, but it, we will get there. I mean, I hold you to that. <laughs> yes. So, I know, well, I know. no, that's yeah. great. That's brilliant. Well, I mean, you've said yourself that you know that it's, a, it's an area that of is course. a challenge. But yeah. It won't. It will be beaten. No. And uh, we will have beautiful, uh, sustainable, responsibly sourced packaging. Just like the thing in the middle, Do in know, the box. Yeah. The thing is, everybody is actually looking at the same things. Um, so I really believe that the innovation is going to come. It has to come. Because now, when e-commerce and so on, it's not just primary packages, secondary packaging as well. How mm -hmm. would you be able to ship things from A to B without all those bubbles, etc., etc.? So, you know, um, I think that what one area in which I feel really confident is that... Um, that you know, kind of uh, people are looking into is really innovation. How can we do the same things but differently, with less impact and with more impact on the people that you know we work with? So yeah, I think I think we'll get there. So right. that'll be our. We'll have another chat yeah. when we've got that <laughs> nailed. Awesome. Okay, Dinah, thank you very much. No, thank you for having me.